A gentle breeze rustles the leaves of tall palm trees which tower over a subtropical plain. Mostly flat, it has an obviously landscaped mound shaped like three sides of a rough rectangle. It seems like an unnatural physical feature in such an otherwise perfect setting. That mound is a mass grave. Called Chung Ek, it is the final resting place of over 8,000 people who were beaten to death with whatever was at hand by the henchmen of Pol Pot. He ruled Cambodia for only four years, and despite his horrific genocidal campaign, most people don't even know what happened. We dedicate this episode of Blind History to the more than two million people who were the victims of Pol Pot's failed Cambodian social engineering experiment. So this is how our favorite historian, Simon Seabag Montefiore, describes Pol Pot. He says, The communist Khmer Rouge leader who created the democidal hell known as Democratic Kampuchea ruled Cambodia for only four years, but in that short time he murdered millions of innocent people. Half the population, some people say a third, he impoverished the country, he killed all the intellectuals, and started time again at the diabolical year zero. That's a hell of an introduction for anybody. And we've dealt with some pretty nasty specimens in blind history. This guy seems to be among the most evil human beings who's ever lived. Is that saying too much? Anthony Medera is my co-host. It's blind history. It's a brand new episode. Pol Pot is the focus of this episode. And is it too much to say that he was a maniac, a genocidal maniac? He was a monster. He was so much more than a genocidal maniac. He was, a, you know, there's so many words to describe him. It was frightening, absolutely frightening. There's no doubt he was a monster, but how big was it? Did he kill a million or did he kill three million? When you research Pol Pot, those are always the challenges because the society was completely closed, very similar to the Kims. They actually locked down the country. The outside world didn't really know what was going on there. So a few things about him that I hadn't any idea about until we started working on this episode. The first thing is that he only died in 1998. It's like yesterday. Which I feel is crazy. They should have killed him in 79. Uh, the fact that, he, that, he'd, that he'd lived another, I don't know how long it was. It's absurd. And none of them were killed. None of them were no. murdered or hanged. No, none of them even saw justice. I mean, he was supposedly sentenced, but we'll get to that. That's near the end of his story. Let's start at the beginning. Where did this guy grow up and what kind of a childhood did he have? Because usually psychologists will tell you they can find the markings of a psychopath early in their lives. Was there any sign that he would grow up to be this evil monster? Not really. Uh, his, his parents were quite well to do. They had rice paddies, a property and farming and uh, about 10 times the normal size of, a, of an average farmer in Cambodia. So he grew up just north of the capital of Phnom Penh, about 100 miles north. And his family had some royal background, or at least some connection to the royal family at courtiers. And his older sister uh, was a concubine of the royal family. So there was definitely links with the royal family at that time. So it seems he had a, quite a stable upbringing. He went with his brother to, to Phnom Penh when he was quite young and attended schools. It doesn't seem like he was very clever. He was a very mediocre student. And that name, Pol Pot, it sounds like such a stupid name. 
but that wasn't his actual name, was it? I mean, if, if no, his name. If you were his mom, you wouldn't have called him Young Pol Pot. <laughs> no, no, his name was Saloth Sar. That that sounds a lot more evil, Saloth yeah, it, it sounds like a Star Wars <laughs> yeah. villain. Yeah. I did see, interestingly enough, for someone who ended up hating intellectuals, he studied like electronics and and some fairly modern and you know rather more complicated than you know than studying I don't know growing plants or animal husbandry. The guy actually had the capacity to certainly learn quite a lot of things, and I wondered why he hated intellectuals so much. But that becomes clear later in the story. But he did fail a couple of times. He wasn't the brightest. You know, what was very interesting was that the French have played a massive role in sort of the history of Cambodia. In the 17 and 1800s, the French went into that area, I think it was called Indochina at the time. So that was part of their territory or their empire, as they called it. And so a lot of the rich kids would go and study in Paris. And, and he was one of them. And I think he had a government subsidy to send him to Paris. Wow. He didn't do well. He came back and he became a teacher, I think. Correct. Yeah. So he became a private teacher, but he was spending more time developing this revolutionary ideals that he had in his head and what he wanted to do. I thought when I was at school that we had some pretty horrible teachers, but (laughs) you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of this teacher. (laughs) No, but uh, Mao Tse Tung played a big part in his life. That was his hero. And, you know, the agrarian, the whole point of the agricultural type society and ideology came, you know, obviously from Mao Zedong. And then like everybody, you know, we've covered a lot of these guys, the communists and, you know, Marxism and Leninism, they've all played a massive role in their lives. Yeah. You know, if you picked up one history book, any history book, and you read one story about communism, you would realize what a terrible system it is. And just everywhere it's been implemented, it's brought nothing but death devastation, impoverished lives, social engineering. When we talk about this agrarian revolution that he tried to impose, he actually wanted to take the clock back. He thought that people who lived on farms in these idyllic rural situations were much happier than the people in cities, that they had less, that they worked the soil, that this was a much more noble way to live. And he tried to turn the clock back. He tried to make 1975 year zero um, so that they could start again. And he actually removed technology. He removed thinking. He destroyed education and learning. And he sent people out of the cities to the degree that uh, Phnom Penh, the capital you've already mentioned, was basically deserted from when he had started implementing his plan until when he was deposed. But there were two and a half million people actually just prior to him taking over in Phnom Penh. So So it was a significant city. And I mean, he closed the banks. There was no currency. Closed the borders, killed all the foreigners, killed all the Buddhists, killed the priests, killed the Muslim leaders. It was actually so sudden. If people were at work and they had their cars or however they got to work, they were ripped out of their offices, ripped out of their surgeries, hospitals, and put on the street straight away. And they had to now walk to the fields. And that's what it was like. And you know that when you're a doctor, you're not used to tending rice paddies. And a lot of the population didn't even make it to the agricultural fields, except where they were force marched. So many died on the fields, you know, where they were working, where they had to work. And, and they worked 12 hours a day. The rations weren't enough. So they would die. And especially the people that come out of the cities, they just weren't geared for it. So they died very quickly. And that's where they died. They just closed the graves. And this, that's where the mass killing fields have come from. This is just open rice paddies where they're just dumping bodies. 
must have been absolutely frightening for the population. And it doesn't make any logical sense how they, they could figure out that this was going to work. It's classless and um, everybody's a farmer. And that just feeds the army who's now protecting the border because Vietnam keeps trying to come in again. So you mentioned Mao already. Mao was his only real friend. And otherwise, he cut himself off completely from the outside world. So there were very few people who were allowed in and very few people from inside who were allowed to know anything about what happened outside. In that way, it does mirror North Korea. But there were a few journalists. I read a story about a woman who was invited to report for an American publication from Cambodia. And she went in and she was given an interview with him where he mostly ranted and raved about the Vietnamese and how he was going to kill them. And she went to a guest house where she and two other journalists were staying. And that night, the army came to the guest house and tried to kill all three of them. Now They, they were there to interview this guy. So I don't know how, how he thought that would turn out. But she reported that she'd seen mostly healthy people and that she'd seen a mother nursing her baby. And it didn't look so bad. And she was actually asked to testify in a trial much later on uh, where people accused her of defending the regime and making up propaganda that was favorable to them. And of course, she, she didn't know that they were acting the whole thing out. They were only letting her see what they wanted her to see. What was going on under the surface was much, much more dangerous. So tell me about the Khmer Rouge. This is the, the organization that Pol Pot led. The Khmer Rouge was really frightening. I mean, they carried out the most frightening killings and genocide that in the modern era has not been seen before. And there was a movie made about it, I think, in the 80s. This is before Pol Pot died. He was still running his show in the jungles of Cambodia, just on the Thai border, when the killing fields came out. What was interesting it was that this political communist party really hated, actually, the North Vietnamese communists and anybody else that was out of Cambodia. But, you know, the United States has also played a big role in this because, as we know, the Vietnam War was carrying on going because the United States didn't want any communism to grow because they were close to South Vietnam, they got involved to protect them. But actually what happened, the Cambodian government under the king, Sinuk, said that he was neutral, but he actually kept Viet Congs and North Vietnam armies within Cambodia. So the U.S. found that out. They dropped more bombs in Cambodia than they did in the Second World War in Japan. Wow. They said three times as much. And that actually helped Pol Pot and his gang to grow because now there was such strong anti-US sentiment and also outside sentiment. So that drove the xenophobic side of it. So even if somebody had communist ideologies, if he was in Vietnamese, that'd kill him. You know, it's, or if he was a Chinese or Thai, that'd kill him. So it's communism tainted with xenophobic ideologies. So this is what made this communist regime so much different to many others that we've looked at or that was around in those times. And like a purity test. So you could fail on communism, that would be a reason to kill you, as you say, that you could fail on, on ethnicity, and that would be a reason to kill you. You could be too clever, or you could be too stupid, or you could be too tall or too short. They would, they would find any reason. If they wanted to kill you, they'd just kill you. Exactly. And, and what was very sad, if you wore glasses, you were dead. So now, is know, that, That's a story that I remember hearing, um, and I thought it was an urban legend, but it turns out that this guy was so pathological that he thought that people who wore glasses were intellectuals. And funnily enough, that is something which people continue to think today. And you see some of our politicians who put on glasses and they suddenly think they're smarter than they were without the glasses. But this guy, he was afraid of people who wore glasses. He thought they were too clever. They were intellectuals and therefore they could represent some kind of threat to his regime. So 
if you just wore glasses because you had bad eyes, off you were marched to the killing fields. Yeah, and he said in a statement that, look, obviously you've got glasses because you've been reading too many books. Anybody that was urbanized, he would take out. And the farmers that had been farming before were a little bit better treated. Mm. But if you, if you were urbanized, you, the chances of you surviving was almost zero. I believe the Khmer Rouge also had a, a particular way of killing people. They were forced to dig their own graves before the Khmer Rouge soldiers would beat them, their tired bodies. They'd beat them with iron bars, axes, and hammers until they died because they'd been instructed not to waste bullets. It was frightening what they did. So how many people were killed? You said earlier it's very difficult to estimate because there was no international reporting allowed from inside of, of Cambodia, and they did manage to seal it off mostly from the world. I mean, if, if it's between one and three million, that means that there could be two million people who there's not even a record in history for them. is isn't like, you know, we talk about Alexander the Great. There's a little footnote that says there may have been 5,000 Persians killed in this battle or whatever, but 2 million people that could have just gone missing to history in the 20th century, no less. They're saying it's about a third of the population, and that excludes the civil war that happened prior to that because he now wants to take over and become prime minister. And there, the half a million people were killed in that civil war. And that both parties committed massive atrocities in that civil war. There was no, there was no kindness or anything oh in God. terms of prisoners of war. There were no rules. So, so half a million were killed even before that this genocide started. It kind of shows you also how the world's media are quite, I, I don't want to say ethnocentric or racist, because I think people use that word too much. But, you know, there's the standard that if, you know, 4,000 people die in New York in the, in the 9-11 attacks. We make a massive deal of it. And rightly so. New York is like the capital of the world. It's the world's most cosmopolitan city. But here we have millions and millions of people who died mostly in my lifetime and yours. Most of these people died during the time I have been alive. Me too, yeah. And yet there's no fuss made about them. People talk about Hitler People talk about Stalin. They even talk about Mao. Pol Pot seems to be a second-rate dictator killer, autocrat, murderer, despot, tyrant. You know, he, he's like in the second rung, but this guy was a, a maniac. He was absolutely a maniac. I mean, it, it really does make some of these the Stalins and the Hitlers of the world almost look like bunnies. Did he have any personal life at all? I mean, were there any people close to him? Yeah, so he had two marriages. Uh, his first marriage was to a lady that was linked to the royal family. So in the beginning, I mean, he, had, he definitely was from the wealthier side of the world. And he had a child. And um, I must be honest, I've tried to find out what happened to the child. You know, there's not much information on it. I, I looked at a picture of him, though, and he seems like a pretty ordinary dude. He almost looks like a Cambodian version of Elon Musk. You know, he really doesn't look like a very dangerous person. And there's a, there's a picture of him even in his old age before he died of what was a supposed heart attack. And he, he looks like a jovial, fun, he's smiling and laughing in this picture. Mm. He said on his deathbed virtually, certainly in the last interview that anyone did with him, that he had no regrets. He said, everything I did, I did for my country. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. What a, what a, a, a strange world you must live in in your head when you think you can get away with social engineering on this scale and really that's what he will go down in history for is trying the most audacious kind of social engineering that turned things backwards and tried to eliminate all 
difference between people. He tried to make people numbers, machines, robots. Very classless. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and this is just one of the most evil things that could ever have been perpetrated against humanity. Do we know anything about the last years of his life, where he was? Because you said he was in the jungles, you know, up to kind of the 1980s. Uh, but where, where did he end up? So he died just close to the Thailand border. So that's where he went deep into the jungle. And he spent a lot of time there in his youth. And that's where he really got the love and he believed the way they lived. He said, that's the way this whole country must live. And so, yeah, he went back there and I think he was very well protected. And he was a figurehead for the Khmer Rouge for, you know, right into the 90s, although he stepped down as their leader in 1985. He stayed in that area and he kept guerrilla campaigns going on up until the 90s. And that's not long ago. So this movie, The Killing Fields, had already been put onto, onto the circuit around the world, and he was still doing guerrilla campaigns in the northern parts of Cambodia. I think in the end, it fell apart. And uh, they had some sort of house arrest, but they think it was just a front. He got away with it, and then he died. Yeah, supposedly he was arrested by another senior Khmer Rouge figure, and, and they did sentence him to life imprisonment. But, I mean, he seems to have got off really easy because he did die of this heart failure, as you say, in 1998. But and he's buried in this this miserable little grave. I saw a picture of it on the internet, and it's this. It's got like a broken wooden fence around it, and you know the kind of corrugated iron that you see on the roofs of so many houses in South Africa. You see a lot of it in the squatter camps. It's got like a, a piece of bent iron over a, a little wooden structure, and then underneath is is really just a heap of earth which is surrounded by stones and nothing smart about it. In front, there's a little altar with some incense sticks. And then it's got grave of Pol Pot. No one's defaced it. You've got to ask yourself how he got away so scot-free and how his grave has not been covered in concrete. Like, you know, no one, no one worships Stalin anymore. No one worships Hitler anymore. These people have been universally acknowledged as evil. And yet this dude, he's lying there in peace in the country that he ruined. And, you know, I think the Khmer Rouge still had a place in the United Nations, <laughs> you know, I think as late as the turn of the century. <laughs> so it's, it really, it, it, that boggles the mind. I just think that there was a lot of funny things going on with the Cold War and the U.S. then started supporting the Khmer Rouge to take the Vietnamese out because there was a puppet government mm. in Cambodia. So there was a whole lot of funny things going on. And maybe that's why he, he got away with it. I don't know. You know, it was very sad. Like you've already pointed out, they kind of flew under the radar because there were so many bigger fish to fry in terms of international players. And Cambodia just wasn't important enough for people to have paid attention. Yeah. And it just shows you not all people are equal. So it kind of in some sick way, it proves that um, that inequality is the way, the state of man. Yeah. Um, so history is not always fair. And, and the fact that a guy like this, you know, died of natural causes and under house arrest where he committed such atrocities. It's just, mm. it's just unbelievable. It boggles the mind. And, and of course, that part of the world is never fully recovered. But Cambodia has a rich and ancient history. There's obviously those famous ruins of Angkor Wat there, which comes from a much more ancient civilization that um, actually was part of the flag. They had the main temple in Angkor Wat as the symbol in the middle of their communist democratic people's republic of Kampuchea. They had that, that symbol on their flag. Apparently, there are museums you can go to in Cambodia now where they have just walls with skulls, almost like the catacombs in Rome or in, in Paris, but many, many more people that have died and, and whose remains are now in these unbelievably huge mausolea. 
it's very lucrative country and it's, it's quite beautifully placed down into the South China Sea. And it's got some of the, the best freshwater fish in the world, even today. So if you want to go and catch big freshwater fish, you go to Cambodia. It's a fertile area for, for fishing and that. But it's an interesting part of the world. I don't think, though, that it's completely out of the woods yet. There's still elements of the Khmer Rouge alive and well in that part of the world. Uh, there's still lots of fights between the Vietnamese, the Cambodians, and many others. It's taken them literally 30 years or even more to recover if they have recovered from it. What a guy. Um, not, not one of our favorites, but he fits into the same category as some of those maniacs that we've covered before, like uh, Vlad the Impaler, Stalin, yes. and many of the others. But you know, Vlad doesn't look so bad anymore. <laughs> so there he is, Pol Pot, Cambodia's Killing Fields, and uh, a new episode of Blind History. We're into season four. There are many more exciting people to cover, and uh, I guarantee you one of them is going to be your favorite, and then one of them is going to be the kind of person that you hope you never hear about again. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a quote from Prince Norodom Sihanouk, the former ruler before Pol Pot took over. He said, Pol Pot does not believe in God, but he thinks that heaven, destiny, wants him to guide Cambodia the way he thinks it is best for Cambodia. Pol Pot is mad, like Hitler. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, that's, the, that's exactly right. <laughs>